0: This is the Elevate Student Ministry Podcast. Hi, I'm Pastor Dominic. Welcome to Elevate, the student ministry of Living Word Church, where we exist to exalt Christ, make disciples, and equip the saints. Thank you for sharing some of your time with us today. May it elevate Jesus and encourage you. Let's get started. Well, again, welcome to Elevate. Turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. And we've been unpacking how to study the Bible, but in a lot of ways, we've been talking about the value of the Bible, the the heart that we go into whenever we're reading. The first week, we covered that Scripture has three purposes. This book, it glorifies God, it reveals Him to us so we can have salvation, and it equips God's people, it equips us. And then we talked about that if it's actually from God, if it's from the very mouth of God, then it has six implications. There are six truths that must be true if it's actually from Him. If it's inspired by God, then it's true, it's clear, it's necessary, it's sufficient, it's authoritative, and it's beautiful. And last week, we had a single point message and it was simply this that when we read the bible we 're not reading for what it means to us we 're reading for what it meant to the author we 're reading for what it means that if we took ourselves out of the equation if we 'd never been born, what does it mean and when we study and read for that purpose, it begins to unlock and unfold and, and come together in, in just this beautiful tapestry so tonight we 're really going to dig in how do we study the Bible how do we how do we Approach the Bible, and we get out of it the truth that the author, authors want us to to understand. Now, I I said it last week. One of the beautiful truths about the Bible is that a baby can swim in it, but an elephant could drown in it. And it's the idea that you could be a baby Christian and, for the first time ever, open the Bible and learn something and begin to hear the voice of God through it. And walk away with something that is planted in your heart. Or you could be someone that spends your entire life, the rest of your life, studying the Bible and studying the languages it was written in. And, and constantly going through it and still never get to the bottom. Never learn everything that it teaches. And so uh, I thought this was kind of a neat illustration. Uh, scripture is so much like uh, a sponge, And I could ask my my two-year-old girl to come in and ask her to squeeze the sponge and and she would get get water out of it, right? And that's just like approaching the Bible maybe for the first time or maybe you're you're a new Christian and you open it up and wow, you learn something. That's so cool. But as you grow in maturity, you grow in strength, you grow in the tools. And and if I ask some, some of you in here, you could probably squeeze a lot out of it. And then maybe if we ask someone who's really strong, someone who works out all the time, you know, maybe, maybe we got Sebastian, and he came up and he could squeeze out probably even more than me. And, and tonight we're going to talk about the tools that help us to dig into some of those layers, to mine for gold, to squeeze just a little bit harder for the truth that's that's there uh, in every verse. So as we're jumping into Luke twenty four here. I want to kind of give you a little bit of context. The the biggest theme of Luke, when Luke sat down to write this long 24-chapter story about Jesus, his biggest theme was that the Messiah of the Old Testament, the one the Old Testament prophesied, the Messiah has come, and he's come for everyone. That's his big theme. And now here at the end, we're looking at the resurrection of Jesus, and the women have gone to the tomb And when they showed up at the tomb, it was empty. And there was two angels there that said, he's risen. He's not here anymore. Go tell his people. And so these two ladies rush out and they tell the 11 apostles and they tell the disciples and no one believes them. And so the section right here that we're reading (laughs) is asking the question, okay, so if Jesus rose from the grave, if the Messiah has come and he actually rose from the dead, who saw it? Who were the eyewitnesses? What were their experiences? Convince us that something went down, that the Messiah has come, the Messiah has died, and the Messiah has rose from the grave. And so that's what we're picking up right here. So the, the women have gone, they've testified, and no one is believing them. And we're going to pick up right here in verse 13. That very day, so this is Sunday, the two of them So two of the disciples are going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they're walking with each other, and they're talking with each other about all these things that have happened. While they were talking, discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Well, that's sort of weird. You have these two disciples, they're walking, they're they're probably going home from the Passover back to Emmaus. And as they're talking about everything that's gone down, this this Messiah that they've been following has died. All their, their dreams about this guy freeing them from Rome, all the miracles that he did have come to nothing. But somehow, something crazy has gone down where these hysterical women are telling everyone that they found an empty tomb and they had a vision of angels. And they're not sure what to do with this information. And on the way home, they're just talking about it. And Jesus, undercover, steps into their conversation and is walking with them. Now this has happened before. Remember whenever Mary Magdalene was at the tomb and she believed at first that Jesus was a gardener? A woman who had seen Jesus every day for probably years doesn't recognize him. So this isn't outside of Jesus's, you know, skill set, especially now that he's been resurrected and glorified. So he just kind of comes in incognito and he just sort of Probes. He just starts asking questions. Verse 17, And Jesus, this is the he, Jesus said to them, What is this conversation that you're holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still. They stopped walking. Like, what? Looking sad. I'm sorry. And they stood still looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened here these days? And he, Jesus, said to them, What things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty indeed in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all of this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some women in our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see him. And he said to them, Oh, foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ, this is the word Messiah in Greek, that the Messiah should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And get this, verse 27. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he, Jesus, interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So this is, this is so interesting. It's crazy. It's like he steps in like undercover boss And just has this conversation with disciples that have been following them for who knows how long. And look at what they what they call Jesus. Back in verse 19, Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. This is how they view Jesus. He was a prophet. He was like John the Baptist, he was like Isaiah, he was like Hosea and Haggai, Jeremiah, he was like one of them. And why did they believe that he was. A prophet from God? Well, right here in the same verse, it says uh, in verse 19, he was mighty in deed and word. It was amazing. He did these really cool miracles. He spoke with authority. And so it convinced us that he was a prophet. And then it's like Jesus, who has not stopped being Jesus, takes over the role of being a teacher again. And let's jump down to verse 25, oh foolish ones, slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Notice this. Their doubt, Jesus, 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 like corrects them for their doubt, but it wasn't their doubt in the women's testimonies. Something more interesting is happening here. Jesus doesn't correct them for not believing what the women said, he corrects them for not believing the writings of the prophets. The Old Testament scriptures. That's fascinating. Was it not necessary in verse 26 that the Christ should suffer these things and enter to his glory? This is this is crazy. They, they're gonna have an opportunity to believe because of what they've seen. They had an opportunity to believe because of miracles. But the miracles only brought them as far as he was a prophet. But instead, Jesus says in verse 27. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, Verse 26, was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer? So Jesus is elevating. You think he's a prophet because he was mighty in word and deed. But I'm telling you that according to the prophets, you saw miracles, so you think he's a prophet. But according to the prophets, according to the scriptures, he was so much more than a prophet. He was the Christ. He was the Messiah. Miracles only go so far. Fancy preaching only goes so far. But according to Scripture, it proves that he was more than a prophet. He was the Christ. That is the evidence that Jesus brings concerning himself. He doesn't challenge them to believe because of miracles, he doesn't challenge them to believe because of eyewitnesses, he doesn't challenge them to believe because of an empty tomb. Jesus builds their belief on Scripture. And this seems so interesting because you and I, we would think it's harder to believe something that's written than it is for me to believe my own eyes, my own five senses. But think about it. Jesus has ascended and his apostles are dead now. There's no one living today who was an eyewitness that Jesus ascended from the grave. What do we have? We have scripture. So, when all the apostles died off from persecution or old age, what was left for us to believe that Jesus was the Messiah, that he died, that he rose again, that he ascended, we have scripture. This is what Peter is alluding to. Uh, I think I've, I've been on the screen, which will save you some time. Second Peter chapter 1, you can read all the verses, but I'm gonna skip around a little bit just for time's sake. This is Second Peter chapter 1, And you can read verses 16 through 21, but I'm gonna jump around a little bit. This is Peter speaking, and he says this, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter says, with my five senses, I knew Jesus. We were eyewitnesses of his majesty. Peter saw Jesus alive. He saw him glorified on the Mount of Transfiguration. But then he goes on in verse 19 to say, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed, To which you would do well to pay attention. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Do you hear what Peter's saying? He's saying, I was an eyewitness, but you know what you can trust even more than my testimony? You know what I trust even more than my own eyes? I trust Scripture because it's coming from the very mouth of God. It spoke from God as they're carried along by the Holy Spirit. This is what John does. At the very end of John's Gospel, John says this, these things were written so that you may believe that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of God. How can we know that Jesus was the Son of God? Because he wrote about it. He put more stock in Scripture than he did in anything else. This is where we anchor. And this is what Jesus is doing. In Luke 24, verse 27, it says, "In beginning with Moses and all the prophets, now Moses and the prophets represents the first five books of the Bible that, was, that were written by Moses, and the prophets represents the rest of the Old Testament, Moses and the prophets. That's the whole Old Testament. So beginning with Moses and going through the whole Old Testament, Jesus, he interpreted to them all the scriptures of the things concerning himself. So we have as much to go on as even they did. Why did Jesus step up incognito? Why does he step up and they don't even recognize him? When Jesus could have been like, boo, ta-da, I'm alive. But what's he teaching instead? He's teaching when I'm gone and you don't have me anymore, you still have something to anchor your faith in. You have scripture, the very word of God. It's so beautiful. So I'd like to take a minute and zoom in on just one word. It's this word in verse 27, interpreted. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures. And this is so important as we come to the subject of studying the Bible Last week we talked about that we need to understand the Bible for what the author is saying. Not what it means to me, but what does the author mean? And so we need to correctly interpret, understand Scripture. And this is what Jesus does. Jesus correctly explains Scripture to them. And when they saw Scripture interpreted correctly, they recognized that it was about Jesus all the time. So tonight is about the O in our soaps, S O A P S, that we've been talking about every week. This is observe. We go to scripture, we read it maybe multiple times, and now we're going to observe. We're going to see what is going on. How can we best understand what the author is meaning? We're going to try to do what Jesus did to correctly interpret scripture. Now, it may be a little tougher than what we would think. We have sort of four hurdles that we have to get by because there's a huge gap between us and the person that was writing and the audience that he was writing to. First of all, we have a 2,000-year gap. That's enormous. Like, I don't think we can wrap our minds around how long 2,000 years is. But there are 2,000 years between us and that author, between the author of Luke or John or Moses or whatever. Actually, Moses is much, much longer. Conversation for another day. So we have a 2,000-year gap. We also have a huge cultural gap. They, they thought completely differently than we think. They were in a different world where survival, like you wake up in the morning and you work so that your family can eat tonight, and then tomorrow morning you do that again. And they lived underneath an emperor who ruled with, with absolute authority, who could take your life and no one challenges that. And they lived in a country that was was overrun and taken control of by that emperor. Like the cultural gap is huge. Also, we have a theological gap. The men that wrote the Bible were Jewish. Like We worship a Jewish savior. He was born a Jew. And the people that he surrounded himself with initially were Jews. And then in the book of Acts, this gospel goes out to everyone who's not Jews. Yay, that's me. Maybe that's you too. And then finally, we have a language gap. This was written in Hebrew and Greek and a tiny bit of Aramaic. We're reading it in English, so we have some some gaps to jump through. And let me just give you an example, which I think is kind of fun. Let's say you are reading a romance novel from 1944 in the United States. Okay, now you're reading it. You're like on the you're at on the edge of your seat. Maybe you've you your emotions involved. And your big question right now in the in the novel there is. A young man named Sam, young woman named Barbara. And the question that's aching in your mind is, do they really like each other? Is this going somewhere? Are they long-term? Is this pulling together? And before first period bell rings, the last thing you read, I think I've got a slide so that we can look at it together. The last thing you read is this, Sam was crushed when Barbara didn't show up for their date. Unknown to him, she was in a long line at the Bare Leg Bar. Now, we've got to figure out what's going on here. We've got to answer our question. Do they really like each other or not? Could we do that from these two sentences? Let's see. Oh, yeah. I even gave the author a name, Deb White. Here we go. This is all fictional. I made this stuff up. Just so, for a good example. So... At first glance, if we were to ask the question, do they really like each other? In our 2024 context, it's kind of hard to tell. Actually, it sort of sounds like he's waiting with anticipation and she's off doing something inappropriate. That's sort of the first glance. So we're dealing, first of all, with an 80-year time gap between us and when Deb White wrote this in 1944. We're dealing with a cultural gap of an 80-year difference. I mean, this is an entire different generation. This is probably y'all's great-grandparents were alive in 1944. And we're dealing also with a historical gap. Things were going on then that we don't fully understand or rub minds around. And we're also gonna look at some keywords in here and see if we can unpack this a little bit. So let me give you some context. First, we need to understand how these two sentences work in the overall chapter. Now, in the overall chapter, what's happened between Sam and Barbara is that they were set up for a first date. Their friends set them up, and the first date was at Barbara's house where they had, she hosted a game night. Now, what happened on this game night was that she, they, she enjoyed hanging out with Sam, but she had to play host the whole night. So she, they didn't really get a chance to talk, and their friends were there the whole time. So Sam asked her out for a second date. So what's happening here that we're seeing, you can just put that up and leave that up, is we're, we're looking in on their second date. That's the context. Now, the culture, 1944, this is pre-sexual revolution. Modesty is still very, very important to women in 1944. Fashion-wise, women wore knee-length skirts and always wore pantyhose, nylons. That's, that's what's going on. That's the culture of 1944. In history, does anyone off the top of your head know the most significant thing happening in American history in 1944? Yeah. World War II, good job. World War II captivated the nation. During World War II, the government had to confiscate nylon factories and pantyhose factories and repurpose all of that nylon and fabric for the sake of making parachutes and socks for the soldiers. And it made it really, really difficult for women to buy pantyhose All right, so we have some context, we have some culture, we have some history. Now let's look at some keywords. Now, just off the top of my head, I don't think things have changed very much, but I would look at the word, if this was, if I was studying Scripture this way, I would look at the word crushed. What does crushed mean? Someone yell out, what's happening, huh? He's very upset, yeah? He's devastated. His feelings are hurt, right? Uh, Maybe another word that I would look at might be a date. I'd want to know, does the word date mean the same thing then as it does now? But let's be honest, what we're most curious about, the key word that we really wanna know what's going on there is bare leg bar. Are you with me? So let me give you some, some background. Now because of World War II, because of women not being able to find pantyhose and the expectation of modesty to keep up appearances Before women would go into public, many times, they would use makeup foundation or certain kinds of paint to actually color their legs, even right down to drawing a line up the back that looks like the seam of nylons. Now, this is a lot of work. So if you were willing to spend the money, women would go to a bare leg bar to have their legs done before they would go out in an evening in public or something. So now, with that in mind, let's reconsider what's going on here. Sam was crushed, so what does that tell us about Sam? He had big hopes for this. He really likes her. We have half the equation solved. And then, why doesn't she come? She's stuck in a long line at a place that she spent money at because she wants to look nice, because she wants to keep her modesty, but she can't wait to go out with him, and she's, worth, it's, she's willing to spend money on this. So now, looking at it from what the author is communicating, it starts getting really clear that we're supposed to understand that these two really like each other. Things are probably going to work out once they get over this little hump in the time schedule. Now, see, someone in 1944 wouldn't have to decode this. They would just know what a bare leg bar was. They would just understand what's happening. Obviously, women can't find pantyhose right now. And so as we're studying the Bible, I know that's a long illustration, but as we're studying the Bible, that's our goal. We want to get into the sandals of the people reading this. We want to try to like get into their mindset and understand where they're coming from so that this makes sense, so we don't miss things. See how easy it was to just miss an obvious truth just because we're separated from their time and culture and, and the way they think? So that, that can be the Bible sometimes. Sometimes. So as we dive into studying the Bible, we want to get into the shoes, into the sandals of the author, of the person the author was writing to. So how do we correctly understand what the Bible is saying? We're going to apply the same common sense principles that we did to this fictional fiction that I fictionized. How can we squeeze Scripture to get the truth out? The first thing, whenever you open up your Bible and you start reading, Start at the beginning of a book and read for context. You want to start with the macro, the macro, the zoomed out. What is the overall of this whole book? What is the author trying to communicate? What are some of their main points? Because everything in the book is going to point back to those main points again and again and again. Then we can zoom in a little bit. Then this is what we did whenever we looked at Luke 24. I told you Luke's main points. I told you the main point of that chapter of, of 24 and then you zoom in a little bit. All right, well, this section of verses, this, this story, this argument by the author, what is the main point of this? What's the main point of the story? What's the main point of, of this complete thought? What is he arguing? What's his main point? So you're zooming in. And finally, now you can zoom in to a single verse. Now, this verse is the next step in the thought pattern in the, in the train of thought of the last verses. And it's a building block before the next verse. And so now this verse, in the context of this section, in the context of this book, now the verse makes sense. So first, whenever you open the Bible to study, look at the context. Uh, In the words of one of my favorite preachers, context is everything. He gets the congregation to say it back to him. Let's do this. Context is everything. Context is everything. There we go. All right, cool. And just an example of how things can go very, very wrong. Many times, one of the most famous verses that we take out of context is Philippians 3.14. Anyone know it? Or 4.13. Know it off the top of your head? I can do through who? Absolutely. So it's like, oh man, now I great, I'm going to put it on a t-shirt and I'm going to go run a marathon. I've never run before, but yeah, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'm, I'm five foot seven. I'm going to go join the NBA today and see how it works out because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, no. I, I, I can't. I can't join the NBA today or run a marathon tomorrow. Like that, that's not how, that, that's not what Paul was trying to say. He's not saying you need to put this on a headband And go and do the impossible because Christ is strengthening you in whatever you want to do. No, when you look at what he's talking about in Philippians chapter four, it's all about, Philippians is about having joy in Christ and Philippians four is about the joy of contentment in Christ. That in anything, in any situation, at any time, we can be content because we have the joy in Christ. We can do all things we can have contentment even in the situation right now. That's what he's talking about. So that's context. The next one is culture. To take a look, What's what's the culture of the people that are writing or the people that are reading it? Who wrote it? Who were they writing to? Why were they writing? Maybe as an example, Peter was a Jew. And he's writing to Christians who used to be Jews. And in 2 Peter 3.14, Peter writes this. Be diligent to be found without spot or blemish. Let the Lord find you without spot or blemish. Well, considering that Peter was a Jew and that he would every year go to Jerusalem for the Passover, bringing a lamb that had to be accepted to be the sacrifice. This verse suddenly comes to life. The lamb had to be accepted to be a sacrifice. And he's saying, be presentable to the Lord without sin. Come before him humbly. Just like the lamb had to be acceptable by God, let's come before God acceptable. So it's a a reference to to the lambs that were worthy. So culture, understanding the culture of what's going on. And then three, understanding the history. What's happening in their world? What are the huge events that are going on? Well, right now in Luke, The Jews are under the thumb of Rome. That's important. That's going to be helpful for us to understand some of the things that are going on in Luke. So when was this written? What are the major events? Here's another example. Remember Joseph in Genesis? He gets thrown in a pit by his brothers. He gets sold into slavery. And God maneuvers him into being number two of all Egypt. Remember that story? Incredible story. And then... Exodus opens up with something crazy. It says, There came a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph, the savior of Egypt, number two over the entire nation forgotten. Well, when you dig into history, you find out that it's very likely that this was the period when an outside group called the Hyksos invaded and took over Egypt. And there was a Pharaoh who did not know Joseph. History is so important to understand what we're reading and what's going on. Now, another one that's actually kind of fun, and you can do it easily. You're looking at keywords. What are some of the big words? Or what are some of the most interesting words? What are some of the words that are worth defining? What are some of the key words in any verse? And look them up, find out what they mean. What are some words that are repeated over and over and over again? In Psalm 136, the word steadfast love is used 26 times. What do you think the author is driving at? That's something to consider as you read everything else in the Psalm. When you know, you know that the Psalm's whole purpose is to point at the steadfast love of God. Maybe you look up a word and you find out that it's only used one or two other times in the entire Bible. So that you can use one part of Scripture using that word to understand another part of Scripture. For example, the word compassion in the New Testament is only ever used by how Jesus feels towards people. He has, comp- he has compassion on the man whose hand is, is crippled up. He has compassion on the crowd who's hungry. He has compassion on the lepers. And then Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. And you know what characteristic he gives this, the Samaritan towards the man he should hate? He says the good Samaritan had compassion on him. It's only ever applied to Jesus, and Jesus applies it to him. We are supposed to walk in compassion. For who? For the people that are unlovable. Isn't that beautiful? So these keywords can make a huge difference whenever we look at them. And then finally, most importantly, what is the theology of this? Based on what we're reading, what are, the, what are the spiritual truths that come out? If we were to sum up what the author is trying to say into one point, what would it be? What do we learn about God from this section? What do we learn about ourselves from this section? What can we apply spiritually in 2024 and just sort of like a bonus one? The more questions you're willing to ask, the more you're gonna learn. Ask tons and tons of questions. Ask questions you wouldn't even think are that important. John is the only one that says that the people that came to arrest Jesus brought torches and lanterns. Why? Why is it only John who would point that out? Well, from beginning to end in John, he is always playing with light overcoming darkness. And the artificial light of man has come to arrest the light of the world. How interesting is that? But you catch that whenever you start asking questions. And then here are some resources because I know that when you're thinking about culture, when you're thinking about history, this stuff is like crazy. Like, what am I supposed to go read a history book? You know, I don't even know how to dig into this. I have easy resources for you. Let's make this easy. First of all, do you have a study Bible? Uh, we sell the ESV study Bibles, and the bottom half of the Bible is called commentary, and it explains the verses that you're reading verse by verse. And the commentaries are written by people way smarter than us, who understand the culture, who know the history, who know the languages. They have already overcome all these barriers for us and they sat down to write for us. So if you don't have a study Bible, find a study Bible. And you can buy commentaries that aren't even a part of a study Bible. A few months ago, we sold one called the Warren Wiersbe Commentary and I sold it for half price here. I'll give you, I'll give you one come and ask me I'll sell it to you for half price again next month in February our book of the month in February again at half price is going to be the Matthew Henry the new Matthew Henry commentary people that are way smarter than us and you can read along with the Bible and they've done the homework for us it's wonderful something you can bring up on your phone for free is called um, the Enduring Word app so just get on your app store Download Enduring Word, and it's commentary with Scripture. And they've done the work for us. It's great. It's by some some of the greatest theologians are being pulled together for that app. Um, Another great app is um, the Blue Letter Bible. This one's great for keyword studies. Or the Literal Word. Thank you, Elijah. Literal Word app. And anywhere in Scripture, you can tap on the word, and it tells you what the Greek or Hebrew meaning was. It'll even tell you how many times it's used. Where are the other times in Scripture this word is used? It's like all the work is done for you. So I want to say them again. Are they up there? Oh, sweet. Okay, I don't have to say them again. So I challenge you. Maybe write down these five different things to consider. Context, the culture, the history, keywords, and the theology. Remind yourself to ask questions. Always be asking questions. Challenge you to have a Bible study this week. Just try maybe one. Just try maybe one or two of these. Play with words. Look at the keywords and say how many times do I see each word in this in these couple verses? So I can get an idea of what the author is wanting me to focus on. Consider downloading a free app. Yes! And reading along with some of the things that app has to say. Like you're gonna learn so much. It's gonna like, it's gonna be like you're squeezing so much more than you could at face value to learn the truth that's there. So have a Bible study this week. Get in, enjoy it. Heavenly Father, I thank you for these students. And I pray for their e-group time that as they exercise having a Bible study, a deep Bible study, that you will help them think of questions to chase, that you'll help them begin to synthesize History and culture and keywords and everything to see plainly what scripture is saying. I thank you, Lord, that you are with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening, and a special thanks to all of you who have subscribed, shared episodes, and left reviews. If you would like to learn more about Elevate, you can visit us at iloveelevate.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Thank you for everything you do that brings faith, hope, and love to the world around you. Now go, follow Jesus.